Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. We start today. Now, yesterday's show, I spoke to David Eby, the incoming premier of British Columbia, set to be sworn in here in a couple of weeks. We covered a lot of ground in that Eby interview yesterday, including mental services for people with untreated mental illness on the streets of Vancouver. Speaking of the death of this this brave young police officer, we continue to see mayhem on the streets of the city with mental health, with people who are suffering from mental illness on the streets. Have a listen to what David said to me here yesterday about mental health services in the province. Have a listen. We can do better for them. We can save money for taxpayers and communities can be safer. So that means you would not rule out reopening Riverview. Is that correct? Well, yeah, we're not going to reopen a a facility from the 1950s, a sort of uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of thing. But we can absolutely have uh, dignified, high-quality mental health services for people uh, that are in distress. Okay, that was David Eby speaking to me here yesterday. I thought it was interesting when we talked about whether a large institution like Riverview Hospital should be reopened. And you heard him describe that as a turning point when that institution was shut down many years ago. And that there are a lot of calls now to reopen Riverview to deal with this situation. Tough to pin him down yesterday, I got to say. I'm trying to try and to pin him down in some of these issues about precisely what an institution like that would look like, how it would function. Here's the other one we covered on the show yesterday, the revolving door justice system in British Columbia. We've heard a lot about this as well. The police files from people who have hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds of police files. They're charged, they're arrested, they're released, they reoffend again, rinse and repeat. Just the endless cycle. I asked David Eby yesterday, can he direct the crown to get tougher, keep some of these chronic offenders locked up? Here's what he had to say to me. We can't direct crown to not follow the federal criminal law, which is what we've been talking to the federal government about. But if there's an opportunity there, we will do it. Uh, But more than that, I mean, I think British Columbians know uh, that at the core of this issue, in many cases, are issues of mental health and addiction. Okay, let's get the other side of it now. My guest is BC Liberal leader Kevin Falcon, leader of the opposition in the BC legislature, and I'm pleased to welcome him back. Kevin, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, let's start with the, the mental health crisis we have on the streets of our city right now. And we played the clip there of David Eby, not ruling out reopening an institution like Riverview, not exactly like the institution that was shut down many years ago. You have said something similar. It sounds like you guys are on the same page on this one, or are you? Well, I, you know, I, I don't know. I hope so. I've been talking yeah. about this for almost two years. And, uh, you know, when I first wrote an op-ed about this uh, two years ago, uh, the NDP sent out their former minister of mental health to write a column saying how terrible it is that I was even contemplating this idea of involuntary treatment of the mentally ill. And so if he is moving over towards that position now, 
uh, I think that's a positive thing because I think it's absolutely necessary. We cannot have a situation like we have today where we're leaving people with untreated severe mental illness to roam the streets to be exploited and abused. Yeah, we heard him say in the clip we just played there that he didn't want, want to open a, a 1950s-style institution like that was in the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Nobody wants to see nobody, people nobody exploited. Go ahead. Yeah, nobody wants that, Mike, and I, I've been saying that for, for a long time. And look, I do think this is something where we can uh, put the politics to the side and say, let's just do the right thing here for those that are struggling with mental health issues. Uh, I think we can recognize that it's, you know, every person you see out there is somebody's child or, or sibling or parent, and we owe a far higher duty of care than what we're currently providing. And so I think that uh, if uh, if Premier Eby is willing to come over to a position I've been talking about for two years, I'm happy to support that effort. Let me play another clip here. Speaking to BC Liberal leader Kevin Falcon on yesterday's show, NDP David Eby set to be the new Premier here. We talked about the revolving door criminal justice system, the catch and release system, as, as you have described it. And I asked him about why can't the crown get tougher on these repeat offenders? We've heard these ridiculous examples of, of people who have got literally like 400 police files and they continue to be released back into the public to commit more crimes. Let me, let me replay a clip here. We played a, a second ago here when I asked EB yesterday, why can't you direct the crown to get tougher on these repeat offenders? Here's what he had to say to me. and I'll get your thoughts. We can't direct crown to not follow the federal criminal, which is what we've been talking to the federal government about. But if there's an opportunity there, we will do it. Uh, but more than that, I mean, I think British Columbians know uh, that at the core of this issue, in many cases, are issues of mental health and addiction. Hey, you're not talking about directing Crown Council to not follow federal law. There are other options no, available. Go no, ahead. That, that is a dodge, and it really frustrates me. He has been the Attorney General since day one of this NDP government. And, you know, for over five years, we've seen this problem spiral out of control. We keep raising it in the legislature. They keep pretending they can't do anything. Instead of actually doing his job as the Attorney General and making some decisions that would keep Street safe, he had two consultants to tell him how to do his job. They came back and told him exactly what we've been saying for the last couple of years, which is direct Crown Counsel that when they're looking at repeat violent offenders to put the interests of community safety above the interests of those individuals to get back onto the streets to commit more crimes. This is very straightforward. It can be done. We even drafted for them over six months ago. And they refused to act. And I think that, you know, a lot of this stems from his background when he was with Pivot Legal Society and wrote the manual on how to sue the police. And, Mike, you and I were around when during the Olympics in 2010. And I remember when he was with the B.C. Civil Liberties uh, Association, David Eby was having his people follow the police and harass them because they were trying to arrest anarchists that were rioting and breaking glass down in Granville Street, et cetera. So uh, I'm not. You know, frankly, I think we're up against an individual who has a past of not being very supportive of police. And I think that we've got to be supportive of police. We've got to make sure we have a just system that is not failing uh, the public the way it is today and bringing, frankly, uh, it into disrepute. And we've got to start enforcing the law and making sure the dangerous people are kept in jail. Let me ask you about another issue that I hear. I hear a lot about this from listeners, and I know I know you hear a lot about this as well, and that's the fight over autism funding in British Columbia, you got parents of autistic kids who are who have been battling here for the government to preserve uh, their individual funding programs. The government says they're getting set to move to a like a hub model 
for kids with all kinds of uh, cognitive uh, disabilities and, and problems. And a lot, of, a lot of parents, autistic kids are, are worried about losing their funding or seeing it clawed back. I asked him about that yesterday. Here's what he had to say, then I'll get your thoughts. David Eby yesterday on autism funding. I really look forward to working not just with the autism community, but with uh, all different uh, advocates and parents uh, who have kids with disabilities about how we can improve services. For okay, so for people who are, for parents of autistic kids who are listening to this right now and are worried about their funding being clawed back, are, are you saying that they should stop worrying or is that still on the table? Me- meetings with those advocates are high on my list after being sworn in and I really look forward to those conversations. Kevin Falcon, your thoughts? Well, I, I don't know, you know, what kind of game they're playing with these folks. You have to understand how devastating it is for these parents. I mean, we brought in individualized funding back in 2002. This was hugely important to parents because they recognized that children with neurodiverse issues have a range of challenges. It's a spectrum. And so they require that specialized individualized training that those uh, individualized funding dollars allow for. And to think that they're going to move towards what they call a hub model, which is essentially... Yeah. Uh, you know, go to a local office and government's going to tell you what kind of services your kid is, your child is going to get is devastating for these families. And the government has ignored repeatedly um, our pressure to say, don't go down this path. The hub model in Ontario has been a fiasco. It's got huge waiting lists. Nobody thinks it's a good idea. I've had parents in my office near tears. I've personally been protesting in front of David Eby's office. And, you know, for him to say now that well, maybe he'll meet with them. I mean, just make a decision, for goodness sakes, and say, no, we're going to stop this. It makes no sense. We made a mistake. We're going to move on and make sure we retain this funding and uh, work to ensure there's greater services for other children, too, that have neurodiverse issues. Okay, that's an issue we continue to follow closely. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks very much for having me, Mike. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, here we go now, as promised, with the firefight over fireworks. Now, we just went through another Halloween with lots of fireworks all around the lower mainland. Uh, sometimes the stuff gets out of control. The stuff that happened in Delta, uh, this is wild. The video that was put out by the Delta Police Department this week. The police there are saying an estimated 400 youths. 400! 400 young people in a wild fireworks firefight that resulted in several injuries to the people who were involved and also to police officers. It happened at South Delta Secondary School and also nearby Denison Park. The video is crazy. Like, if you go online and watch this video, 
you see these youths just shooting these fireworks directly at each other. I mean, this is this is just it's not acceptable, obviously, to anyone. But here's the question now. If you look around Metro Vancouver, we've got a patchwork of laws. Some municipalities ban fireworks, but not all of them. Should there be a province-wide ban? That's what some people want to see. Now, like I said on the show yesterday, I don't know. I mean, I've always kind of liked fireworks, but I see the other side of it, too. We had a ton of ton of phone calls on this yesterday. I got Aleem Kanji standing by to discuss. First, have a listen to a selection of the calls we got on this issue yesterday. Here's what it sounded like. I'm all for the ban. It's ridiculous. These aren't little fire fireworks like I had as a kid. Leave the fireworks and firecrackers alone unless you're going to pounce on New Year's Eve and every other special occasion that has fireworks and crackers attached to it. I have a senior dog, and if you saw the terror in his eyes, every time the fireworks went off, uh, you would be against them, too. The fireworks in Surrey are illegal. It's not enforced. They say it's enforced, but you can't reach anybody. It's not fun when your son is hurting another living being, be it a human or an animal. And we used to throw Christians to the lions, and we stopped doing that, <laughs> although some people thought it was fun. It's hell in Surrey because it lasts for well over two weeks, the valley all the way on. Last night was 3 o'clock in the morning was the last one that went off. Okay, let's discuss this now with my guest, Aleem Kanji. Aleem is the Director of Communications for the Canadian National Fireworks Association, and I'm very pleased to welcome him. And Aleem, Aleem Kent, thank you for coming on today. Hey, great being on your show again, Mike. Okay, thanks for coming on. Tell me about the National Fireworks Association. You guys are an industry association. What what do you who do you represent there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Canadian National Fireworks Association, you know, we represent just over three thousand members across the country that consist of folks in the industry. You know, manufacturers, distributors, retailers, even regulators, and fireworks enthusiasts. And I should tell you. And tell your listeners that there are over 4,000 fireworks products that are strenuously tested, regulated, and approved by our federal government. Um, Mm. That is one of the strictest fireworks um, uh, testing procedures on this planet. Uh, It doesn't get tougher than, than this country. So, you know, these products are very, very much legal. I know we've got a patchwork of municipalities with different rules. But, you know, I think a lot of your callers hit it earlier when they said uh, this is not being enforced. And this is our experience across various municipalities, uh, over 4,000 across this country that we work with, uh, in that we can't police and enforce our way out of this. Municipalities are stretched with their finances, and we really believe the solution is greater education. the CMFA is very proud of our Be a Good Neighbor program, where we promote the safe sale and use of fireworks. We inform our neighbors. We ask people to respect their neighbors, to be safe, to celebrate, to clean up. You know, these are, are, are very important facets of the program. And in fact, we've just launched the program in the language of Punjabi uh, in other cities across the country so that people really know what the rules are around Diwali. And I want to get to one point, and that was yeah. your caller earlier that said, we need to pounce on other occasions 
uh, we can't just focus in on on certain ones if we're going to ban. And I think we we open up a bit of a hornet's nest if we go after one and not the other. British Columbia has a very strong tradition of fireworks uh, uh, celebration that spans over a century. Uh, And there's a lot of reasons behind that. We want to see that tradition continue. We've got greater immigration coming to this country. Yesterday, we just heard 1.5 million new immigrants coming here in the next two and a half years. We need to respect, celebrate that pluralism and that diversity and the traditions that many that come to this country celebrate. Right. So you're talking about, okay, you know, you mentioned uh, Diwali, for example, or Chinese New Year, right? I mean, Halloween here in British Columbia, big tradition with fireworks. So it's not just Halloween at this time of year. There are other reasons people set off fireworks. But, man, but Aleem, come on, man. Like, when you listen to the police in Delta talking about 400 kids out there shooting fireworks at each other like like bombs and, 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 and like rockets, like a rocket firefight, I mean, nobody can tolerate or condone that. I, right? I don't think, I, I, I would walk back that comment. I don't think the police use the word bombs, and I would be, I would be very careful when we use that word. Here's the reality. Well, hang on. Did you see the video? I did. Did the police use the word bomb? I don't. Well, think but they're, no, it's like guys are shooting Roman candles at each other, like parallel to the ground. Let's come back to how we get out of this, and that is okay. the responsible use. Listen, 911 across the country receives phone calls for fireworks complaints. 911 across this country always say 911 is for emergencies only. Do not tie 911 operators up unnecessarily. You know, that's the next stroke, heart attack uh, a victim that can't get through because someone's calling about fireworks. So what do we do about that? Well, mm. we, call, we call by law enforcement. That's what 311 is there for, for these uh, complaints. Now, the question to one of your earlier callers' comments is, how do we deal with this? And, right. you know, we, we've, seen, we've seen this not be a priority. I can, I can give you quotes from mayors across this country that have said, we are going to do more to increase public messaging. Um, we don't have the resources to patrol. And we're all for public messaging. I talked about our campaign earlier. Uh, the resources and the time to patrol just is not there from bylaw enforcement. This starts with education. Uh, it starts with education, and it ends with education. And we're proud of our vendor certification employee training program. We're part of our Be a Good Neighbor program. We will work to change people's behavior through education. Uh, and, and we're proud of that. And, and you know, look, okay. to your earlier point around Diwali, yeah. yeah, one one billion Hindus across the world celebrate Diwali, yeah, which actually is a celebration of light over darkness. That's why they use fireworks. The same for Lunar New Year. It is the largest annual holiday on planet Earth. 1.5 billion Asians celebrate that. These are cultural celebrations intrinsic to the people of British Columbia, and quite frankly, those across the world. Um, okay, and, and we need to, we need to respect those those traditions. Speaking to Aleem Kanji, Canadian National Fireworks Association, one of the other, the callers that we heard in that montage we played, Aleem said, "Hey, fireworks are illegal in Surrey, but it doesn't matter. There's no enforcement. If, if you call and complain, nothing happens." Like going to your your point about a ban, are are you basically saying that a, a ban is ineffective? Like you can't enforce a ban anyway, so it's is pointless? Is that your point? 
Well, I think I think <clears throat> the point is made uh, by folks in Surrey, quite frankly, that have had a ban out for years. And, yeah. you know, our, our friends in Surrey seem to pro- blame the problem on our friends in Vancouver, and they're pointing the finger at each other. Now, it's been two years that Vancouver has had a ban, and they're still seeing the same issues with fireworks and realizing that, that bans just don't work. We feel, and I can tell you other municipal governments across this country feel that bans are an overreach of municipal councils. It is very hard to crack down on complaints and enforce. These are the words yeah. of fire chiefs uh, across our country. Let me give you another couple of quotes. Vancouver Councilor Melissa de Genova. Why approve a bylaw but not extra enforcement? This is exactly why she voted against the ban. Vancouver Councilor Sarah Kirby Young. We will do more, including public messaging from the city and the Vancouver Fire Department. I mean, we are we are we are all on side uh, with the notion and with the thinking there. Uh, Vancouver Police Department Sergeant, we don't have the time and resources to patrol. Um, and again, I can I can go through a laundry list of examples. Bans simply do not work, and they are an overreach of municipal okay. governments, as we're finding out in cities like Surrey and in Vancouver right now. All right, welcome back. We have a full phone board here on the fireworks firefight. I got the mayor of Delta calling in, George Harvey. Mayor Harvey, thank you for calling in. Oh, thank you, Mike. Okay, go ahead. What would you like to say? Well, I just it's very, very disappointed, actually disgusted about this. Uh, 400 children. We had events going all over Delta, and it really puts uh, public safety at risk when you have this type of event. And again, it wasn't just South Delta, it was North Delta. Uh, but where are the parents? Where are the parents? We had an individual in South Delta at the field there that was apprehended and delivered to his mother. He, he was reapprehended in another change of clothing and given back to his mother. Uh, the other disturbing thing is our police have picked up intel, which they're working on. And that is that there was almost like an equivalent uh, Uber Eats going on. Uh, they had a phone number where people were actually delivering fireworks and telegram out of their cars. Okay, this happened Halloween night, South Delta Secondary School. How many kids were down there in this fireworks fight? Police estimate 400, uh, but we had wow. a, a number of officers there. We had two fire trucks, which is 10, 10 firefighters. But it depletes our resources to respond to other events all over our city. And that's, right. that's my concern. Have you ever seen anything like that in Delta before? I mean, we have these fireworks every year, but this, this sounded like it was out of control. Well, these weren't fireworks. They were concussion bombs going off. And then Whoa. the video, you can see where they were actually aiming these Roman candles at each other and at the police and at the firefighters. Yeah, how, were there any serious? Were there any really serious injuries there? It looked really brutal. Uh, there were. What, I don't think there was anything you'd call like, like life threatening. Yeah, uh, there were some burns that happened, but two of our officers uh, were injured. What do you think should I be have, done? Ab- what do you think should be done about it? Well, first of all, we need the provincial help here, and it's 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 an issue that's common right through all of Metro. Um, but we need to ensure that anybody who's sell- illegally selling fireworks at the cars and delivering them to the kids on site are a predetermined location, uh, we got to stop that and find that heavily. But we also need to work, and what I'll be doing after the uh, inaugural, <clears throat> is calling a meeting of the school trustees and council together with the police and fire and setting up a working group to ensure that we can ensure do it, we can do everything possible to prevent this right. from happening. Again. But it goes right back to the house, right back to the parents. Mayor Harvey, thank you for calling in. Thanks for the time. Take care. Okay, I appreciate George Harvey there, the mayor of Delta, calling in on the open line.
about that fireworks battle at the high school there in Delta, South Delta Secondary on Halloween. we got lots more calls here. Ron in New West. Hi, Ron. Go ahead. Yeah, hello, Mike. Um, right. yeah, my wife and I actually were able to see quite a bit of fireworks out of our living room window. And they're quite enjoyable, actually. We have three houses who are ultimately setting off you know, quite uh, nice displays. But as I'm watching it, I can't help but think, you know, what precautions have they taken? Do they have any flammable things around there? What about their neighbors? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's nice to watch, but, you know, of course, yeah. I wasn't that close uh, to it. But I think fireworks uh, are okay as long as they are controlled. And I think you need, should have uh, permits to be able to buy it. Nobody under the age of 19 should be able to allow uh, to be in possession of it. Um, and no delivery services should be able to just go in yeah. and pick them up for, for delivery. Anybody who comes to a fireworks store needs to present their permit. And on the permit, it needs to be, show where they plan on setting them off. And everything else is up to law enforcement. Thank you for the call, Ron. Let's go to Kalani in Surrey. Hi, go ahead. Hi, I just want to say that um, I'm against the fireworks, unfortunately. I'm all for the celebration. However, I work um, in the horse community. Uh, It's terrifying to these animals. It's terrifying to our wildlife. I care for a a baby with heart defects. And the terror in a little child who already has trauma beyond trauma is how do you, I, I don't know how you explain to them when it's still going off at 2.45 in the morning. Yeah. So I, I'm I, I'm for the celebration, but I, we need to do something, of the, especially the loud bombing ones. They're, they're terrifying to, to animals and, and certain little children. Lanny, thank you very much for the call. Mike in White Rock. Hi, Mike, what do you think? Well, you know what, I've appreciated both of the last few callers, including the mayor and everything, and everybody's got yeah. some very valid points, uh, for sure, on both sides. I don't support a ban. Uh, I have no problem with bylaws, you know, give, putting a time limit on things. Uh, right now in White Rock, you're, you're not allowed to do it, but I'm literally right. across the street from me in Surrey, and you hear it going on. It doesn't bother me personally. Again, I don't support a ban. Uh, we were young and stupid as kids, and my thoughts are is if kids are going to point the Roman candles at each other, uh, then you know what? That's just kids being stupid, and if somebody gets hurt, they get hurt, and they got to well, deal with it. However, and I know yeah. but on the flip side, if yeah. you're pointing it at somebody who's innocent or a property or police or fire, absolutely prosecute them to whatever the law will allow them to do. But again, being stupid is one thing, but being malicious and uh, criminal is another, in my opinion. All right, let's bring you an update on a story we've covered for you on previous shows, and that is how the... A new PST system will be applied to private sales of used vehicles. Now, under the old system, if you bought a used car, you would pay the PST on the price that you paid for the car. Not anymore in British Columbia. The new system, if you have a private sale of a used vehicle, you will pay the sales tax on the government's estimated value of the car. Now, why is the government doing that? Well, they say there's too many people cheating the tax man. That's why. People will report a fake invoice to ICBC, claim they paid less than they actually paid for the vehicle, so they pay less tax on the sale. So the government say, we're not going to allow this anymore. We are now going to charge you the sales tax on the estimated value 
of that vehicle. I've got Carson Binda standing by to discuss this. Have a listen to this here now. This is NDP MLA Brenda Bailey explaining this change in tax policy. Have a listen to this. So what happens is if I'm selling a car for $10,000 and, uh, you know, you agree to pay that amount, uh, that, that would be, uh, what, $1,200 owed to the government for PST. But what's to say when we have our transfer papers, uh, you ask me, could, could I say that, that I bought it for $5,000? I'll still give you the $10,000. But could I say that I bought it for $5,000 and then I only have to pay $600 PST? And people do this. Okay. So the government says this is going on. This is tax fraud. And this is why they want to clamp down on it. Is it fair? Is it fair to do this? Let's discuss it now with Carson Binda, BC Director, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Carson, thanks for coming on today. Hey, Mike. Thanks so much for uh, for having me on this morning. Yeah, you, you bet. What do you think of this move by the government? Well, frankly, it's just wrong to tax secondhand goods in general. Folks have already yeah. paid PST and GST on goods. And charging uh, additional taxes when they're sold for a second or third time, it's just shaking people upside down like the sheriff of Nottingham. It's unfair. <laughs> okay. The, the BC Liberals on the attack on this one. This uh, tax is now in effect in British Columbia. This is the law of the land. The Liberals say it's unfair. You're going after people and accusing them of committing tax fraud when maybe they just got a good deal on a used vehicle and you want to punish them for that. Here's what Peter Millobar, a Liberal MLA, said to me about this issue on yesterday's show. Have a listen and I'll get your thoughts. They already have the ability to audit those sales. They have the ability to, if they flag them, uh, to phone the seller, to phone the purchaser, see if their stories match up or not, to go and look at the car if they want. Um, they didn't need to change the law by telling everybody that you're, you're committing tax evasion and fraud. Okay, I don't think we should kid ourselves here, Carson, that there, there are people out there who will cheat the tax man. I mean, that's just a fact of life. There are people who probably would write up a fake invoice and claim they paid less for a used vehicle than they actually did so they can pay less tax on the sale. I mean, let, let's, be, let's be frank and honest here. That does happen, right? But as you heard that liberal MLA described there, there are ways the government can deal with it if they think that is the case. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so Peter Malabar is right. There are ways for the government under the previous model to investigate uh, if they suspected tax fraud was happening. Now, with this change, frankly, the government's just fleecing people at this point. They're assuming that we are all lying to them. And it's unfair. It's collective punishment that's going to hurt the 16-year-old who's been working all summer to save up for their first beater. This isn't legislation that meaningfully goes after tax evaders. It's legislation that hurts uh, young families and folks looking to save up for their first car. Okay, speaking of buying, let's say you want to buy an, an old used car, like if you're a young kid saving up to buy that that beater, right, as you describe it. Like, I remember back when I was 16 years old, got my driver's license immediately as soon as I could, and my first car I bought for 200 bucks. And it was a, it was what they called back in that day a Bondo buggy. It was held together with just like Bondo. It was a, full of rust <laughs> and holes. But I didn't care. I loved it. It worked for a while. But two hundred bucks. I mean, you know, I I have a suspicion that if I had presented that to government these days, like I, this is how much I paid for this car, the estimated the government estimated book value of that car is probably more 
right? Yeah, so is that, yeah, go ahead. You're absolutely right. And the big problem here is that there's really no recourse for normal British Columbians other than paying hundreds of dollars out of pocket for a professional appraiser. Um, this is just unfair. It's that simple. Yeah. So how does that work? Like you mentioned that there isn't, there is a way to challenge this. There is a way to sort of appeal it. So let's say you buy a vehicle and it is in really bad shape. It's a fixer upper or whatever, and it's not worth, it's worth less than the government's estimated value because it's in poor condition. You can, you can challenge it, right? You can, so what do you have to do? You have to hire an appraiser? Yeah, so at that point, you have to hire an appraiser. You have to take your vehicle to a, to a registered uh, mechanic and dealership, uh, which costs four, five, six, seven, even $800. For folks who are saving up for a, their first, possibly secondhand car, that's just wildly unaffordable. Okay, do you think, do you therefore think they just should have left the system the way it was? And- you know, I just wonder well, if sometimes this is a solution looking for a problem. I mean, I mean, is there any evidence that there was widespread fraud going on? None whatsoever. And, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head here. This was the government chasing uh, solutions for problems that don't exist. Yeah. Okay. So they maybe should have just left it the way it was. Here's another. Now, this is really interesting, too, to me. The liberal MLA we just heard from there, Peter Millibar, this week, he put a private member's bill in front of the legislature going in the, the complete opposite direction here, what the government's doing. Forget about what the PST would be on a used vehicle. How about remove the provincial sales tax from a used vehicle? This is his proposal, that if you buy a used vehicle under $20,000, let's remove the PST to give people a break to get into a used vehicle in this tough economy. Here's what he had to say, and then I'll get your thoughts. Peter Millibar on yesterday's show. Well, yesterday I introduced a private member's bill that would remove uh, the PSD for any used car uh, under $20,000 in value with over wow. 6,000 kilometers on it. Um, mm. And that would be whether it's a car lot sale or, or a private sale. And, and that would be in line with what uh, the rules now are for electric vehicles that are used. Okay, I think that's very interesting. So... If a used vehicle is un- priced under 20000 and it's got at least 6,000 clicks on it, it would qualify for this exemption. And as he mentioned there, when you buy a used electric vehicle, you get a, a break on the taxes, correct, Carson? Yeah, and uh, so to draw back to, to Peter's private member's bill, that is a tangible and real solution. Folks should not have to pay additional taxes on second-hand goods. The goods have already been taxed the first time they were sold. So to tax them again is just unfair. And frankly, most times when folks are shopping around for for second-hand vehicles or second-hand goods in general, they're trying to save their cash. Um, This bureaucrat knows best approach where ICBC assumes your line to cash grab. Okay, so you're saying that even if it's not a, like a used vehicle, like uh, when you buy a used vehicle, there's a good chance it's been it's changed hands a few times by the time it comes to you. If it's old, if it's an old vehicle, and every time it's sold, it gets taxed again. Correct. That's right. So if you're selling a uh, a car that's been through say five owners, each one yeah. of those five owners pays tax again and again and again on the same item. The items that the 
uh, the cars in this case, they've already been taxed. So right. double taxing, triple taxing, quadruple taxing the same goods, it just doesn't make sense, and it's not fair. Okay, so you think there should be no PST on any used items, any used goods? That's correct. Okay. Now, there's always a, an opportunity cost here or a cost of reducing a tax that produces revenue for government. And one of the things that the Liberals have acknowledged here, that if they did what they're suggesting here, remove the provincial sales tax on used vehicles under $20,000, there would be a cost to doing that because you would be eliminating revenue to government. And the cost here would be around... $50 million a year. Is that, like Carson, you're a guy who advocates for taxpayers, but you know there's a, there's a flip side to the coin. If you cut those taxes, the government gets less money, right? So how is the government supposed to deal with that $50, $50 million hole in the budget now if they did that? Well, there's a few, there's a few issues we need to address there. First of all, our government, uh, you know, just last month, in, uh, sorry, the month before in August, came out and said that they're sitting on a $1.3 billion budget surplus. Now, if our government's sitting on an extra $1.3 billion, raising taxes, it's just unacceptable. Beyond that, we're seeing record high prices at the pumps. We're seeing record high uh, prices at the grocery stores. Families can't afford to put food on their table or drive their kids to school and hockey practice. To raise taxes when we're dealing with an inflation crisis, it's like trying to put out an out-of-control campfire with a gallon of kerosene. You're just going to make the problem a whole lot worse. All right, Carson, thanks for coming on with your thoughts on it today. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mike. Anytime.